It's the first Monday of the month, and we're responding to questions from the listening community. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 364. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. Once a month, we open up the dialogue here on the show to questions and thoughts from the listening community. Bonnie and I do our very best to, if not answer questions, at least hopefully get a perspective a little different than what you may be thinking and hopefully be of value to others in our listening audience. And as always, I am joined by Bonnie here the first Monday of the month. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Dave. I am excited about all the questions we've got here today. We've got we've got some great questions, so I'm going to see if we can get through as many as possible. Uh, as always, if you'd like your question to potentially be considered for a future episode, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and we will do our very best to help if we can. And uh, Bonnie, your first question here comes from Garfield. How do you keep a team motivated when the job is quiet over a long period of time? I'm a new leader. And we have gone through a period of losing a few clients, so we're just waiting for new work to come through. We have work to do now, of course. It's steady, I guess, but there can be periods of non-activity. So sometimes it can be a little bit chatty. Any advice? Garfield, thank you so much for the question. When I read this question, I couldn't help but think back to my very first part-time job, which was working at a McDonald's restaurant. And I, I very clearly remember the very first time that I thought it would be okay to just stand around for a bit and <laughs> realizing very quickly that you do not do that in a McDonald's restaurant, that you end up with a not-so-fun job like scrubbing baseboards in the restaurant. And so you, I learned very early on to always keep myself busy. And I was thinking about this from a standpoint of your question, which is this is potentially a really great opportunity for you. You mentioned being a new leader for this team, and I think it's a great opportunity for you to uh, potentially do something that will really help the team and the organization. So if you do have a bit of bandwidth right now to do something, uh, one thing I think would be really fun to do and also valuable is to be thinking about what are the systems the processes, the procedures, the back-end work that can be done now during a time when you have a little bit more bandwidth that would then emerge and support you as an organization and your team doing better work in the future. I'm thinking about this because we have uh, an academy member who's actually dealing with the same issue right now of having a couple of weeks of downtime with her team. And one of the things that they're doing is and considering doing is an innovation day or a couple of days of just going and doing some work to make something better in the workplace in order to support them in their work going forward. So Garfield, I think that this is there's a few opportunities here. One, it's an opportunity for you, especially as a new leader, to solve a problem proactively and to take the initiative to do something that Otherwise, the organization may not do. Um, And I think that's one of the best ways to lead and to position yourself as a valuable leader in an organization is to go find problems that are out there and to solve them. Um, Now, you may not know what those problems are if you're new in the role. So if you don't, going around and talking to team members of what are the things that are broken? 
where are the systems that are not working? What in your workflow that you're doing every day could be better? And finding out what those things are and then investing some time and maybe even setting a vision around it of here as a team over the next month, week, whatever the time frame is, of here's what we can work in order to make our lives better going forward as an organization and also to help us to get to the organizational goals. Um, I, I don't think I've yet seen a situation where someone with who took the initiative to uh, use some downtime in organization and came to senior management and said, hey, I'd like to spend some time working these two or three issues that will help us to be more effective long-term, um, where that wasn't received at least somewhat well or or at least generated some conversation about what to do. So that's a good place to start. And I think that it also helps brand you as the kind of leader who is proactively looking for things that are going to add value to the business. And if you set a vision around it and get people excited about it and and connect the dots for how that's going to help them in their work going forward, I think you could get people pretty excited about uh, or at least going along with you to put in some effort to make things better. I know that your question was focused more on a team, but I'd like to start just with the perspective as an individual leader. A few years ago, I remember reading a really powerful article about the presidency of the United States. This was prior to the current president we have, and it was looking at from Obama back as different as the United States presidents had been at that time, there was one common challenge that the modern presidents had all identified as the most difficult part of that job. And it was having enough time for thinking. And that's really stayed with me because when we get inside of an organization, there are, in my experience, there's almost always some pockets of the tyranny of the urgency. And sometimes this can cascade all across the organization to a real detrimental effect. And other times it can just be in small subsets of it. But I'm very struck by how we as individuals can be influenced by the culture in which we work. And I don't know that I ever want to just be sucked into chaos, even if I'm surrounded by chaos. And it can be difficult because you can really see organizations going through different seasons. And sometimes there's just that fear-based tyranny of the urgent, and we're not able to do the healthy things that we might look to things like farming as analogies for how to be more effective as leaders. Stephen Covey, a wonderful leadership author, used to regularly use the analogy of sharpening the saw. It's one of his seven habits of highly effective people as outlined in that book by the same name. And he talks about what it's like to just, you know, sharp, you know, be chopping down a tree and you walk by and chopping down the tree, chopping down the tree and it's not going very fast. And the reason it's not going fast is because the person hasn't taken the time to stop for a moment and sharpen that saw and then how much faster it can go when we do that. And many of Dave's comments were to the similar thing, the opportunities that we have when there are lulls. But I did just want to mention not just lulls to figure out necessarily how to make what we're doing right now better, more efficient, more effective. I like to do that. By the way, (laughs) I love doing that. But it's my tendency would be to do more of that and not just to stop and really tap into the conceptual thinking that needs to happen as a leader. And so I just wanted to mention to you that, that for yourself thinking as an individual, how healthy it can be 
to sometimes take stock in how much you are responding to. Yes, in healthy ways sometimes, but we can, myself very much included, also in unhealthy ways, respond to the tyranny of the urgent within our organizations. And before I conclude, I wanted to just mention one practical tool that may be helpful to you comes from the world of agile programming or agile as a methodology for managing projects. It started out in computer software you might know of. There's a real big shift in how software is done. Instead of once a year we do our updates, it's just an always organic, growing, changing service that's being delivered to people through software. And so that that term agile, that's where you'll hear it, where it's where it originally came from, but then a lot of different industries are starting to use agile frameworks in managing how they get things done. And one practical tool you could look up is called a scrum board. A scrum board can be digital. And I I probably, if I were to do it, would want to make mine digital too, because I like how digital can go with you wherever you are. But I've heard many leaders say that they find power in having it somewhere on a whiteboard or visible to the organization so that, and, and it, what it does, is it, there's variations of it, but it basically looks at one of the, if you think of it being in three columns, here's the backlog of projects. And then the middle is, here's what we're working on right now. And then the right-hand side is, here's what's done. And so there'll be different seasons in which they'll pick, we're going to do a you know, real focus on this in the next five weeks, the next eight weeks, whatever the time period is. And we're going to hone in on those middle things, the things we're going to work on that we've identified. This is our big sprint to focus on these projects. But when you have a little bit of a lull, you can go back to that backlog of projects. And are there any missing off the list? Should we take some of them off and not even worry about doing them? Is Can we then identify which ones should be put for intense focus in a given period of time? And that can be something really helpful. So a scrum board might be a tool for you to look at using either digitally or an analog format on a whiteboard with sticky notes or whatever it is, real big, colorful sticky notes for identifying that backlog of projects. Is that the right list of projects to have there? And then, you know, are there a couple that we could really hone in on because we have a little bit of a lull? So I hope that's helpful to you. And I know Dave and I would look forward to hearing how this goes with you. I'm really glad you're considering it. When you think about that, it could be so easy to just sort of sit there and coast and enjoy those chatty conversations, which by the way, I was going <laughs> to say that I wish I knew you better because maybe sometimes that chatty stuff is exactly what needs to happen. But that's a story for another day. So I'm going to pass it back over to Dave for the next question. Which is from Kevin. Kevin wrote in and said, I've worked in a number of different environments as a business analyst, focusing on business efficiency and optimization. I've always been the go-to person on how to deliver key business drivers more on the technical elements. A while back, I was asked to help out with a team where the manager was working on other projects. I did a great job and got offered their role full-time. Congratulations. My challenge is that I'm almost deaf, although I can lip read very well. This only works well in one-on-one environments. Everything I do with the team requires me to be in a meeting room since the open floor plan environment doesn't allow me to understand what's going on. Although I seem to get good buy-in with the team, I'm just worried that it's a short-term win and will cause the team frustration over time. I'm also dyslexic, so communication via email isn't a good option for me. And he adds, although the team does get a good laugh at my emails. (laughs) Bonnie, what are you thinking on this for Kevin? First of all, congratulations, Kevin, for this role. It sounds like a great opportunity to use your strengths. And I think it can also be 
a wonderful thing to start to shape the company because while something like your almost deafness, as you said, can certainly hinder your ability to get what you need done, by working with the organization to make that better for you can also help to shape a culture that can help make other people's work environments better for them, better able to tap into their strengths. And I hesitate to even say that. I would never say that if you had brought it up like that somehow it's your job to fix this in your company if they're not good at doing that now. But it sounds like you already have the orientation to want to do something about this and to retain your leadership position and be as effective as you can. So one of the positive outcomes to maybe them not initiating these conversations with you is that you have a chance to educate the organization and the people that you lead as well. One of the things I'd want to be sure that you do is talk to the people in human resources. Some human resources really have this down and they really understand the importance of working with people to make sure that they're able to maximize the contribution they can make. Perhaps there are tools that they may be able to help you acquire or, or, modifications they could help you make. I will also say there are some HR departments that are horrible at this. So if you already know you're a horrible editor, I've gone down that path. It's not helpful. I mean, sometimes we have to help educate the HR departments as well, sadly. One of the things I think is good that you're already doing is the transparency. I think talking about it with your team, letting them know that you want to hear them quite literally as well as symbolically is going to be crucial. I mean, if you work for someone and you know that they want to hear what you have to say, then that makes all the difference in the world. So let's modify things so that that is easier for you. So are there norms that can be changed such that you have an easier time? So can we move those conversations out from the open workspace into a place where you can hear? Is there equipment? I'm I don't know this for sure, but if you're listening to this podcast, then perhaps the almost deafness that you mentioned doesn't hinder you from being able to hear, but it's just, it needs to be loud enough or crisp enough or what have you. So are there other places those conversations and the groups can take place? And can there be some kind of a norm where before someone speaks, they raise their hand not to get permission to speak, but so that visually then you know who to look at next for the next part of the conversation and so that you can do the lip reading that is necessary for the community communication to take place. I'm not saying that's the best norm, by the way, but just exploring the different norms that will most help you be able to have that communication. But I really do congratulate you on the transparency that it sounds like you're already having and can encourage you to do that more. And it sounds like you have a wonderful sense of humor too, that can help you do that as well. So I, I hope that this is helpful advice. You're certainly in a challenge because Many of our workplaces haven't figured this out yet, and I'm just glad that you're up for the challenge of really trying to make the best contributions that you can to your organization. We have several members of our listening community who uh, have similar uh, challenges, and so I'm wondering if some of them may reach out to us as well, Kevin, with some suggestions on just things they've done to interact well in the workplace. And that said, I'm also, as I'm thinking about your email and what Bonnie said, I think about what are some of the biggest complaints I hear about managers from the people I've worked with in my career, and two of them that bubble up very consistently are my manager doesn't spend enough time with me one-on-one, and the other one is my manager spends a lot of time micromanaging me. And by the virtue of your physical limitations, 
you are constrained from falling into those bad habits more so than the rest of us in that in some ways, this limitation you have is potentially a strength in how you engage the people on your team. You need to interact one-on-one, which is something that a lot of people want and wish for from their managers, the people that lead them. You aren't able to jump in in a busy environment and micromanage where other leaders might do that. Uh, Also potentially a strength. And so being very mindful of the physical limitations here and some of the technology and, and maybe some of the suggestions we'll get from the rest of the community, this is potentially something you can leverage as just a wonderful strength and the adaptations that Bonnie mentioned and in perhaps engaging other people on your team to lead in ways that you might normally lead without this limitation, but that you can develop and coach and mentor them to be part of your ears and be part of the way that you lead in the organization as a team. I love what Bonnie said about transparency and and how you're approaching this. There's so many ways that this could not only turn out so well for you in your work in this team, but potentially be leveraged as such a strength for your organization to utilize the talents of the people around you too. So I am I'm very anxious to hear what you how this progresses for you and maybe what we hear from uh, the rest of the community as well. The next question comes from Roland. He writes, I was recently promoted and am now responsible for the sales and customer service standards for many locations. I have no authority over the people at each location, and I'm working hard to build relationships and establish influence. Of all the challenges the new role presents, the most significant is mediating for and cleaning up after my boss. She's in charge of the business analytics, strategy, and budget. While highly skilled in these areas, she's a poor leader with a punitive communication style and a fragile ego. Coming from one of the locations I now support, I had hoped to be able to advocate for the needs of those I now lead, but my boss has no patience for that perspective. With no experience working at a site, the public, or leading a team, their needs are regularly missed or dismissed. When I have advocated for the most pressing needs, it's damaged our relationship. To make matters worse, she is remote. My communications with her are heavily curtailed. I have little opportunity to advocate and her perspective is ever more distant and removed. I could spend more time at the head office finding excuses to bump into the CEO to give informal updates, although I fear how my boss would react to that. Do you have any advice? Roland, thank you for reaching out with this question. Uh, Gosh, my heart goes out to you. What a tough situation to be in. Two thoughts for you. First of all, your thinking towards your boss. Um, I edited this, the, the, what you sent in a little bit. There was a little more detail here. Um, I, I sense the frustration you have. I sense the perhaps even anger you have toward your boss, um, who clearly is not equipped well to handle the roles of leadership and to representing the folks in your organization. So the first thought is just for your mental space. Um, I think most of us have been in roles in our careers, and most of us will again be in roles in our careers where we are working with someone, working for someone, or we have a customer who's like this, who's just not equipped because of their upbringing, because of their whatever, that 
they're just they just don't show up well in the world to serve people. And I I feel really I feel sometimes angry in those situations, but I've also learned to just feel really sorry for the fact that some people just didn't have the foundation for being able to handle situations well. And so one place for you that might be helpful is just how you approach the thinking, not to excuse her behavior, but to, from a place of yourself of like, how can you make some peace with it? Uh, Years ago, I was at an event and one of the panelists who was speaking at the event was talking about working with high-level executives. And this person was an executive coach. And he was asked the question by the audience, you, you work with some people who are in very high-level roles and some people who are clearly jerks, <laughs> uh, and you've been brought in to help out. How do you make peace with working with someone and trying to serve someone and influence someone who's a real jerk? And I, I loved his answer. And it was, I try to find one thing about each person that I can love. And so he would have the practice of if he'd go into someone's office and they were mean and rude and you know call other people names in the organization, he'd, he'd look for that picture on their desk of them with a child or grandchild. And he'd say, you know what, this is something I can really love about this person, that they have this relationship with this child that's clearly a wonderful relationship. Or, or he'd hear them say something about a, a mom or a dad or a, or a significant other, and he'd He'd learn to watch, watch for that and hold that. And again, I say this not to excuse the behavior, but for you to potentially move to a place a bit of saying, in spite of this behavior, that I can have some peace and I can have some love for this person and to let some of this go. Now, the practical, what do you do? So I, I'm curious, the one thing that didn't come across in the question for me is, what do you want? What do you want from her? What is it you're trying to advocate for? So it sounds like you're asking for things to be done in the organization. You're asking for budget, maybe. You're asking for her attention to things. Uh, for whatever reason, those that's not going to happen, either because it's not there, she doesn't have the capability to do it, she's not equipped for it, whatever. And so go do what needs being done within the capabilities of what you have in front of you. Um, you're supporting a lot of different sites out there. You have yourself. You have the people that you're working with and supporting with. You unfortunately don't have the support of your boss and of the organization, but you do have you. And so if you don't have the support and there's no direction and this person's remote and is not interacting with you a lot, in absence of that at times in my careers, when I have not had a lot of direction or a lot of support, I have made some decisions on my own that I truly believe would be of value to the clients, the organization, and is where the organization needs to go. And if someone's told me otherwise at some point, then I shift. But I've tried my best in an absence of good leadership to try to do the best I can as a fiduciary for the organization to get people where they need to go. And I would just encourage and empower you that if that is the case, that her being remote and being detached may be a blessing because it may be just the thing to give you the permission to say, well, I'm not getting the support from her, but I know what needs being done. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to make myself present at these different sites. And I'm going to, at the very least, I'm going to coach and I'm going to mentor and I'm going to help out. And it may not work within the larger strategy of the organization, but at least me, myself, I am going to be the kind of leader who reaches out and helps and supports. And I don't say this to pretend that that makes everything better or that's the way it should be in the organization, but that you are doing good work still. 
in spite of the constraints not being there. And so if you are able to do that for yourself and for the people you have the privilege to influence, then that may be the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning and gets you going in that really has an orientation to serve. So I hope that is helpful to you in some way, Roland. I'd love to hear what comes up for you after hearing this response and what um, what further things you may think of to be innovative on really taking the next steps. So let's uh, transition to the next question here that came in from Jane. Jane wrote in and said, I'm relatively new to management and have found myself in a difficult situation that I'm unsure how to navigate. We've always had an alarming employee turnover rate, but it has gotten worse recently. We received a number of resignations this month. We're losing employees faster than we can replace them. I've received some feedback about why employees are leaving the company. Many feel that the deadlines and requirements for the program are unrealistic and that they're constantly behind, unable to catch up. Unfortunately, some of our program requirements and deadlines come from contracts that are non-negotiable. Our turnover rate really exasperates the sense that no one can ever keep up because existing employees inherit former employees' substandard work. As a leader, I find myself struggling. I've made a strong effort to become the best leader I can be. I listen to podcasts like this. I read leadership books. The problem is I don't think my fellow supervisors are doing the same. It seems that my colleagues think their management approaches are a finished product. I'd really like to stick this out, and I've been trying to frame this as a leadership uh, management challenge to gain experience, but I'm starting to wonder if I should seek employment elsewhere. I'd really appreciate your thoughts. Bonnie? I would answer your question, yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wrap it up right there, folks. <laughs> Super clear. You need to leave that organization if you are unable to structure things in such a way as to have good modeling for yourself and good shaping and that raw wrestling that we do when we're really growing as leaders. It sounds like you're unable to get that from within the organization. So one option, yes, would be to pursue leaving the organization and finding an opportunity somewhere else. However, whether you decide to stay, whether you decide to go, the most important thing will be to start to find ways to cultivate a community that isn't reliant on a workplace. So if there is a professional organization you can join, or so many times now people are starting informal mastermind groups, or you look into something like the Coaching for Leaders Leadership Academy, and there's, there's so many ways in this day and age to grow our own capacity that don't involve having to do it in an organization that just doesn't have the culture or the structure to be able to help us do that. So I would say the most important thing for you is to do that because then no matter where you go, that ability for lifelong learning, lifelong professional development will follow you no matter what your choices bring or your circumstances bring. And one of the things, just to use an example for myself, is that at the institution where I teach, we have not always had as robust of professional development as we do today. And so if I wanted to grow my teacher, it was, as you said, it was reading books and talking to people that weren't at my institution because it just wasn't embedded in the culture. But one of the things I did was starting the podcast. And I, I certainly actually would not recommend that you start a podcast, by the way, there's a lot of leadership podcasts out there. And so, um, but, but just what that did was open up for me to regularly be having conversations with people that were not at my same workplace, but that did have similar challenges that I did. And it opened up just the entire world that is out there. If you want to be a better teacher, 
And there is an entire world out there if you want to be a better leader. There is an entire world out there if you want to be better at so many of the things that Dave and I have already talked about on this episode. And Seth Godin, he is a brilliant marketer and strategist and has a wonderful podcast and blog that's been around for years. The blog has, not the podcast. But he talks about finding your tribe. So go out and find your tribe. Go out and find that group of people that's passionate, has a similar leadership philosophy that you do. When you talk with them or when you read their blogs or when you engage with them, regularly challenges your thinking, the way you're approaching, where you're thinking about that community throughout your day and as you make leadership choices, big and small. And I really, these are so hard because you don't know if an organization is going to get better, if they'll be healing, if there's a new possibility. And really only you can do that reflection. I don't think Dave and I could get to that point with such a few number of paragraphs, but um, I do think you're right for asking the question because your career years that you're spending are wasted if you're not growing. Every year you spend somewhere that you're not growing, and I mean growing a lot, is a waste. It's an absolute waste. So thank you for asking the question. I hope you have the courage to really discern the decision, and I also hope you can build that framework that I talked about that will follow you wherever you go. And potentially do a lot before you even leave. Because one of the blessings of being in a really uncomfortable, bad situation is there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. And Jane, I'm really struck by the fact that if you are thinking about potentially leaving this organization and that it's not the right fit for you, that you don't have a lot to lose if those efforts don't go well. So I wonder with the learning you've done and making the investments that Bonnie's already mentioned in building relationships outside the organization that will reach you and empower you and help you to continue to develop your skill set, what you can go into the organization today and do that would potentially move the needle. So I, I get, I hear you that your peers aren't really at the same place as you of having that care and desire to move things forward. But there's certainly someone in the organization that does care about that, that does care about the metrics. And I'm just struck by the turnover you talk about, the feedback that you've received from people. There's a lot of evidence that there's things that should be changed. And there's a lot of evidence of how it is hurting the bottom line of the organization, whatever is being measured. So one thing I'd want you to be thinking about is what are, and this goes back to one of the other questions we responded, what are the one or two or three things that really need to change? From your perspective, and you know probably better than anyone because you are in the midst of the chaos, what would be the what would be one or two things that if the if changed even a little bit would give some relief and some help to people and help the organization serve well? And if you are willing to then go make the case and willing to engage and provide evidence to the people who would care, whether that's the level above you or the level above that, and make the business case. And say, hey, here's the turnover I'm seeing. Here's where we are not able to get to the work we need to get to. And also, here's the suggestions I have of how we can make this better. You may find that no one's willing to engage, and then you know, then you know it's not the right place. But you may also find that someone says, go do it, go move on it. And then you have this wonderful privilege to be able to be the person that potentially is the catalyst in the organization for making change. And there's no better way 
to not only build your brand as a leader in the organization, but to learn yourself than to go and try and solve a really big problem. And you have a big problem in front of you. Easy to say for me, hard to execute on your end. If you're looking for a little bit of inspiration, one book I'd suggest reading uh, but relates to some of the things you're dealing with right now is uh, by John Cotter. Either the book Leading Change or the companion book Our Iceberg is Melting might provide the framework for you of how you start to inspire that kind of change and think about putting together the people in the organization that could move forward. If that's opening is there, the potential for you to be of great service to the organization and to learn may be there too. Today's questions remind me of how challenging leadership is in so many different situations, whether it's not having enough work for the organization to do or having too much or having a boss or an organization that just doesn't support the path forward and the resources. There's so many different challenges we face as leaders and certainly not to excuse any of those realities, yet they are realities and they're the things we need to deal with. It reminds me of a book I read years ago called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. To me, courage and bravery in leadership is not at all the absence of fear, quite the contrary. In fact, it is the acknowledgement of that fear, of that uncertainty, of the challenge that we feel daily. And yet, in spite of that, somehow finding the courage to be able to take the step forward. And if that is you today as well, you're looking for that inspiration to have a bit of that bravery and that courage to take the step forward that not only makes the situation better for you, but even more importantly, makes the work that others are doing helps to serve the customer, helps to grow the organization, helps to do good things in the world, then I am very much inspired by you to for that desire to want to engage there. And some of the past episodes from this podcast will get you moving in that direction. One of them is episode 232, how to manage your inner critic. We all have inner critics. We all hear those inner critics and we are often stifled by our inner critics. And in episode 232, Tara Moore really helped illuminate some of the things that all of us can do in order to listen to the inner critic, be mindful of the inner critic, and at the same time, not be bound by your inner critics. If you hear your inner critic a lot and it is telling you to not do the things that might be courageous or brave, I would empower you and encourage you to listen to episode 232 that will help you to take those first steps to manage that inner critic a little more effectively. Also, be helpful to you, episode 249. I mentioned in the response to one of the questions, John Cotter's work. He was on that episode talking about how to succeed with leadership and management. John Cotter is probably one of the world's experts, is the in fact one of the world's experts on organizational change. If you are dealing with a change in your organization right now or needing to make a change, that framework will be helpful. His books will be helpful. And episode 249 is a great starting point of, as an introduction to his work. Also helpful as a framework on what to actually do in order to make change and specifically to move numbers, which most of us in leadership are tasked to do at some level. I'd recommend episode 294 
how to actually move the numbers with Chris McChesney. He brought his model from the four disciplines of execution. I've heard from so many people in our listening community that have utilized that model to begin to get traction in their organization. If you know what needs to be done and you're looking for what is the way to implement it tactically, episode 294 is going to help you to get there. And then finally, episode 345, how to create a vivid vision. Cameron Harold was on that episode talking about what are the strategies that each one of us can utilize in order to start to establish a vision? either for an organization, for ourselves, for our families. And if you're thinking that the world needs to look different than it currently does in your sphere of influence, episode 345 is a really helpful starting point on what to do in order to begin to bring that into reality. You can reach all of those past episodes through the episode number or by setting up your free membership on the Coaching for Leaders com website. When you go there, you'll see a place to register for your free membership. It'll allow you to search our entire podcast library by topic. In addition, get access to all of the past member casts, my book notes for every book that I read and from all the interviews, and also a ton more resources. You can get access to all of that just by going to coachingforleaders.com. When you do so, you'll also get access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. Lots there too that'll help with today's questions. Have a fabulous week and see you next week for our next conversation. Take care.